So I want to begin this morning by reading you a poem. It's a poem by former poet laureate of New Hampshire, Jane Kenyon. It's a poem called Otherwise, and it goes like this. I got out of bed on two strong legs. It might have been otherwise. I ate cereal, sweet milk, ripe, flawless peach. It might have been otherwise. I took the dog uphill to the birch wood. All morning I did the work I love. At evening I lay down with my mate. It might have been otherwise. We ate dinner together at a table with silver candlesticks. It might have been otherwise. I slept in a bed in a room with paintings on the walls and planned another day just like this day. But one day I know it will be otherwise. A powerful poem, right? I'd ask you to hang tight to it because we're going to come back to it in just a minute. But for now, though, I want to shift gears and I want to quickly talk about gardens. As we get deeper into February with March now just around the corner, many who are gardeners are beginning to feel the tug, that pull, awareness that the planting season is nigh. And they're excited about getting their seeds into the ground, excited about caring for and cultivating these gardens for their beauty and for their vegetation. I myself am not much of a gardener, I'm sorry to say, but I have a profound respect for those who are. In fact, my church in Kentucky started a community garden ministry early in my tenure there, and one of my great joys while being in Kentucky was spending time during the week walking around in that garden, just admiring its beauty and praying for those in the local community who would be fed on its account. And here's why I bring that garden up this morning. It's to tell you this, that as our garden committee began to dream about this potential ministry, we made several site visits to community gardens elsewhere throughout the state. And at most of those community gardens that we visited, we found well-tended plots that yielded big, beautiful vegetables that burst with bright, vibrant colors. But that said, in most of these gardens, we also found several desiccated and dying plots as well. In other words, plots that have been started by and then abandoned by people. Right there in the same community garden. And thus etched in my memory is the stark contrast between those beds of lush, verdant growth and those other beds beside them with nothing but weeds and waste and decay. And I bring all of this up this morning because when I read this morning's words from our gospel lesson, that is, when I read Jesus' parable about the vineyard and the barren fig tree, I can't help but recall those images. For if you'll remember, this parable is about a man who plants a fig tree in his vineyard 
but then returns to find that the tree has borne no fruit. And so the vineyard owner says to his gardener, the one who's charged with cultivating it, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this tree, and still I find none. To which the gardener replies, Sir, let it alone for another year. Give it more time. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, then you can cut it down. In other words, the tree has been productive. It's been, quote, wasting the soil, as the parable puts it. But even so, the gardener, the one tasked with cultivating it, suggests that they give it a little more time, giving the tree yet more opportunity to finally bear the fruit for which it was planted. Which therefore means that this tiny little parable, like all of Jesus' parables really, is the human story in a nutshell. This one teaching us this. That every day we as human beings have the opportunity, the responsibility, to tend the soil of our lives. To cultivate the image of God within us in such a way that our lives bear the fruit of God's Spirit. To cultivate the image of God within us in such a way that we reflect back to all of creation the very God who created it. Yet so often, given this awesome opportunity, given this unfathomable responsibility, we as human beings nonetheless fail to properly attend to the soil. That is to say, fail to properly cultivate our lives upon this earth so as to bear the fruit that we as human beings, that we as God's image bearers were designed, were planted here to bear. Yet, and here's the exquisite part of this parable, the exquisite beauty of it, and yet all the while, the unconditional love of God expectant though patient, continues to call us out of ourselves and into a life of love and gratitude and service, a life where we finally begin to bear good fruit. Which leads me now to a quick word on the upcoming season of Lent, the season that begins this coming Wednesday, on Ash Wednesday. Among the many things that Lent serves to remind us of as the Christian church each year is that we as human beings are not just here, that the existence of humanity and thus the existence of each and every one of us is not arbitrary, is not accidental. That instead we are fearfully and wonderfully made, as the scriptures put it, designed by God with a purpose, 
created in God's very image and marked by our responsibility to and for not just one another, which is an awesome enough thing, but for all of creation, planted by God, if you will, to bear fruit. So much more than the simple morality that this metaphor of good fruit is often reduced to in Christian circles. Things like abstaining from certain vices and engaging in certain behaviors. Bearing good fruit refers not so much to individual acts as to a full-on disposition, a full-on orientation. Instead of being about isolated mistakes or isolated good actions, bearing good fruit is about having cultivated a condition of character, about having arrived at a state of being. In short, to bear good fruit is to live in accordance with who and what we were designed to be. And as the Christian tradition and as the Holy Scriptures teach us, the human design is built for love of neighbor, service to and for one another, care for and stewardship of creation, and dependence for every waking breath on the God in whom we live and move and have our being which is to say we are wired in such a way, designed in such a way that it is by doing these things, by bending our wills to this, our design, that we grow and thrive and flourish. And thus, when we act in accordance with this, our design, certain results follow. We and those with whom we interact in the larger world around us all come to know greater and greater levels of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, say it with me, generosity, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And moreover, the creation over which we are caretakers comes to flourish further and further reflect back to God the verdancy and the vitality for which it was originally created. Thus, it is not accidental that Paul listed these as the fruit of the Spirit. Nor is it, therefore, accidental that we repeat them as a community of faith each week. For these are the fruits humanity was designed to bear. They are not arbitrary virtues or things incidental to human flourishing. Instead, this is the very essence of who we were created to be. This is the end and goal toward which we are oriented and which the coming kingdom will bring to fulfillment. And thus, when we don't love our neighbors, and when we serve ourselves rather than one another, and when we cravenly try to control creation for our own wants and conveniences, and when we depend on ourselves and not God for meaning and purpose and control, when we do these things, we don't just 
air. Instead, we quite literally work in opposition to our very design, to our very nature. And so just as living in accordance with our design bears certain fruits, so too does failure to live in accordance with our design also bear certain fruits. And those are things like competitiveness and envy and bitterness and acquisitiveness and resentfulness and jealousy and constant anger and rage and anxiousness and insecurity. In other words, it results in our becoming the very opposite, the very opposite of what we as human beings were created to be. And unfortunately, an honest assessment of ourselves and of our lives reveals that we spend far more time feeling things like constant competitiveness and utter envy and certain resentment then we do feeling things like joy and peace and self-control. All because we work in opposition to the basic design by which humanity was created to thrive. All because we fail to properly cultivate the soil. All because we, like the parable says, are given wasting it. And here's the thing. This compulsion to work in opposition to our design, this disposition toward wasting the soil, the very facticity of our lives, the givenness of things, this very compulsion stems from one very basic root. And that is our failure to recognize life, life itself, the givenness of things, as a gift. Which leads me back to that Jane Kenyon poem. In this poem, Kenyon speaks of simple facts about her day. Getting out of bed on two legs, eating cereal and ripe fruit going for a walk in the woods, falling asleep beside her mate. But the thrust of the poem, the underlying point, is Kenyon's recognition of how each of these things, simple and mundane though they are, how each of them is a gift, a gift that ought never to be taken for granted, a gift that ought always to be met with gratitude. Because, as she so eloquently says in the poem's refrain, each of these things could be otherwise. And further because, one day, as she says, each of these things will be otherwise. Thus, it is a poem about gratitude, about appreciation, 
Appreciation of legs and cereal and fruit and woods, yes, but much more important than that, about appreciation of life, of the beauty and the wonder and the mystery and the opportunity that life is. And so to tie this all together, to fail to recognize life this way, to fail to appreciate life for the wondrous gift that it is, is to make it literally impossible to become who we were designed by God to be. Because only when we see our lives, only when we see the very fact of our existence through the lens of humble appreciation, through the lens of gratitude, only then do we ever feel moved to love our neighbor for love's sake and not for our own. Only then do we feel moved to serve someone just to serve them and without agenda or complaint. Only then do we feel moved to care for creation, not for mercenary reasons, but for the simple reason that creation is a precious gift and thus, like all precious gifts, deserves to be cared for and nurtured and cultivated. Which is to say, it is only when we've accepted, when we've truly come to terms with the fact that everything could be otherwise, and moreover, as Lent reminds us of, that one day it will be otherwise. It is only then that we can start using the soil for what it's really for, instead of merely wasting it. The old saying's right. Life is a garden. Life is soil. And humankind has been planted in this soil for a purpose. But not just to dig it, as the saying has it. But so much more than that, so as to cultivate it. I close then by saying this. To be created in God's image is to bear the responsibility of reflecting God's very essence, of bringing about God's purpose and intentions throughout all of creation. That, nothing less than that, is what it means to bear good fruit. That and nothing less than that is what it means to be fully human. But so long as we as human beings remain in petty competition with one another, so long as we continue to accumulate and hoard and waste, so long as we continue to resent and divide and exclude, so long as I and we and us remains more important than she and they and them, so long as all of this We will not bear good fruit. Not because we don't want to, but because we quite literally can't. Because the simple and unavoidable fact is that God did not design us to bear fruit that way. 
And thus, instead of being like those lush, vibrant beds I spoke of earlier, which is what we're supposed to be like, we instead will be like those dying, desiccated beds that were lying there just beside them. Instead of thriving, we, like the parable says, simply be wasting the soil. And so a man had a fig tree that had not yet borne fruit, but he gave it a little more time to finally use the soil for its true purpose. It is both a haunting and illustrative image. And it teaches us a beautiful and inspiring and altogether heartbreaking truth about who God is and about who we are. For it teaches us that we are too often not who we are supposed to be. Yet it also teaches us that God never ceases lovingly and patiently calling us back to our true design. In other words, it teaches us that God sees us in our brokenness, sees us spinning our wheels and trying in vain to establish life and meaning and purpose outside of our human design. It teaches us that God sees us wasting the soil. It teaches us that this breaks God's heart. But it also teaches us that rather than till up the garden, rather than uproot the tree rather than repurpose the soil that instead God waits patiently expectantly though unconditionally quietly whispering a broken hearted hope for us that we would finally see what a gift we have been given with this soil and that we would finally recognize how all this could be and should be, and one day will be, otherwise. Amen.